just want to start by um, telling you a little story. Um, my mother-in-law is a wonderful, wise, calm woman. And I remember Steph and I, before I got married, I was sat at the uh, table in their kitchen, and the table at the kitchen is, is right by the garage. And the garage kind of works as a glorified utility room. There's so much stuff in that in that garage that the average member of the family goes in and out and numerous times a day to, to get hold of something. And I know so far this is a fairly boring level of detail and story, but we'll get to the point in a minute. But my mother-in-law has popped into the garage. And uh, as a bit of a joker in my late teens, early 20s, I, I did that thing that I thought was funny at the time, where you just kind of momentarily turn the key to lock the door. And um, she tries the lock a number of times, uh, the, the uh, handle a number of times to try and get out, funny joke, you know. And uh, once she stopped trying, I then very quietly just turned the key to unlock it. And um, kind of a funny joke, we've all, uh, well, I'd say we've all done it, I've, <laughs> I've done it. And uh, anyway, I carry on with my day like, like normal, and after a brief period of time, and I kind of want to call it a brief period of time, because wouldn't it be horrendous if we were talking about a couple of hours? But um, don't, don't judge me for that. Um, after a brief period of time, I become aware that um, I've not seen my mother-in-law and the door potentially in her mind is still locked. And so I go to the garage and open the door because it's unlocked and I find her sat on top of the recycling boxes in the dark. And um, it was years ago, honestly, it's fine. She has the patience of a saint, and actually she probably enjoyed the fact that we had that kind of relationship, bit of a joker, you know. <laughs> she was probably praying as well, so it's all okay. But honestly, for me, it was like, it was devastating. It was one of those moments where it's like, I may have done something a little bit awkward in the family. But um, do you know, I wanna talk this morning with us about trying the door handle. Try the handle, because the door may already be open. You could sit in the garage in the cold and in the dark, but if you try the door handle, you may realize that the door is already open. And I want to say this morning, try the door handle. Try the door handle. Try the door handle, because in that situation, the door was already open. You know, as we head towards Christmas, this is a great time of year just to begin to reflect and to, to kind of, it's an amazing time of year just to think of where we are and where we could be, how we could move forward faster in our relationship with Jesus, how we could find a fuller expression of our relationship with Jesus. And the passage that I want to frame this round, this talk around, is found in Exodus 14. Just to give you a brief bit of the, the background to the story, Moses has been committed commissioned by God to deliver his people, the Israelites. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, by the Egyptian leader, Pharaoh. And Moses has requested that he lets God people, God's people go so that they could worship him. And Pharaoh refused, and actually, he, he hardens his heart. That's what the Bible says. And he begins, to, he begins to oppress the people all the more. And then began this cycle of plagues. There's ten plagues. Moses requests that Pharaoh releases his people, and um, he refuses. So God sends a plague. Pharaoh repents. God removes the plague, but his repentance is short-lived. And then there's plague after plague after plague. There's 10 plagues. And after the final plague, Pharaoh finally agrees to let the Israelites go. But then Pharaoh has another change of heart, and he begins to, 
to pursue the Israelites with all of his army. And that's when we get this great scene of deliverance where God parts the Red Sea and the Israelites cross through it. I want to try something slightly different this morning, though, rather than read you the passage. Um, I'm going to be picking the story up from Exodus 14 and continually refer to the Bible passage. But rather than read it to you, um, I want to show you a version of the Bible that I read every day with my three-year-old daughter. And when I say read it, I I should say really watch it. Um, We watch a story every day. I'm not sure who loves it more, whether it's me or her. But this is one of those stories where you've kind of got to see it. So um, I'm just going to show you it from my phone. Hopefully the, the media guys have done a great job with this. And just for a bit of background, just for those of you who are now going to try and phone me and text me, it's on aeroplane mode, Tom, just for you. <laughs> I know. Pharaoh's son died in the 10th plague. He let the Israelites leave. They were near the Red Sea when Pharaoh changed his mind again and chased after them. Okay, so um, Pharaoh's changed his mind, he's about to chase after them. you kind of got to see the reaction of them thinking like, oh, they're chasing us, here we go. There it is. It would have been a bit more extreme than that, I think. Let's have a look at the next little bit. Israelites saw Pharaoh's chariots. They were terrified. But God told Moses to raise his staff toward the Red Sea. God sent a strong wind and parted the sea. Now, this is it. This is understatement of the century, but here we go. Love the donkey's reaction. Hold on. Let's see if we can get that. Yeah, that's amazing. Here we go. A dry path appeared, and the Israelites walked straight through the Red Sea. There was a wall of water on each side of them. They arrived safely on the other side. Here we go. Get a little reaction here. Another slight understatement. Final one. Pharaoh and his army followed them into the sea. God told Moses to stretch out his hand. Then the sea rolled back again, and Pharaoh and his army all drowned. Now this bit's brutal. Just let's just get the reaction of the sheep first. Okay. And the donkey. Okay, so prepare yourselves. They're holding their, um, the, the Egyptians are chasing after them. They're holding their swords and their shields. And I thought, just for your information, I thought their shields in a minute were coffins, but it's okay, their shields. I thought for a children's app, that would have been brutal. Here we go. All right, floating shields, not coffins. All right, easy mistake to make. And just to soften it, there's a few little fish. There we go. (laughs) Right, we're going to leave it there. Thanks, guys. Great job. Um, I was going to... Oh, man. I was going to try and demonstrate that with hair dryers and paddling pools and all sorts, so that was the safer option. But, you know, seeing it kind of helps, doesn't it, just to get a visual of what's going on here. I want to, as I mentioned, I want to look at this passage and see um, a number of choices that I think the Israelites had. And I actually think it leaves us with a similar set of choices in our relationship with, with Jesus. And the first choice that I think we have is to choose God's glory. The point I want to make is whatever's going on, 
Well, however things are shaping up, our focus needs to be giving God glory, living in a way that gives God glory. I believe that so often we have an active choice. We have to, to decide to make that choice, to allow our behavior and our attitude to give God glory. Verse 4 in the, in the passage that we could have read says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory through myself, through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So it would seem that the Israelites would feel like they've taken a wrong turn. The Bible passage says that they'd been wandering around in the desert, in the land, confused and hemmed in by the desert. You see, they've been slaves not just for a few years, but for 400 years. And it would seem that God has given them the opportunity to break free from slavery and oppression. And yet Pharaoh's about to pursue them. You know, if we read this passage and we think about it humanly, it's kind of like disaster level seven. It's not quite world ending, but we're heading there rapidly. They, they're about to be free, and then they hit this huge obstacle. The crucial bit, though, is that God had already told Moses what was going to happen. You know, they could trust him. He wanted the glory. He wanted them to know that he was the Lord. He wanted the credit for it. And I think so often we're faced with circumstances where there's no explanation other than it was God. We can't explain it away naturally. And I think God would encourage us to choose realizing that it is God as our explanation. You know, the thing that really struck me quite profoundly, though, about this passage is how quickly we, how quickly they tend to forget. If you read the, the chapters before Exodus 14, you'll see that God allowed these 10 plagues to come on Pharaoh and the Egyptians to try and convince them to let the Israelites go free. But now the Egyptians are about to pursue the Israelites as though they had a chance of winning. And the Israelites are about to panic and, and live in fear as though they had a chance of losing. You know, our chance is to give God, our choice, sorry, is to give God the glory, to see things in a way that God is God and God can be trusted. And I don't say that lightly because I know many of us will be facing situations that are really difficult, but I want to encourage us to give God the glory because we can trust him. We forget so quickly how faithful he's been in the past, how faithful he is and will be in the days ahead. Verse 5 says, the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. See, the Israelites were probably living in a place where the best thing that could have ever happened to them has just happened. They're free from 400 years of slavery. I think we can find ourselves in similar situations. Jesus is victorious. The victory is as in him. The enemy has been defeated. We were singing that just this morning. And yes, that is true, but we can't get comfortable. I think we often live like we're in a time of peace, but the reality is we're not. We're in a time of war. There's a spiritual battle raging all around us, yet so often we walk around in civilian clothing while there's bombs dropping around us left, right, and center. We might be engaged in an invisible war, but we're in a literal war. We're in a spiritual battle. And our choice needs to be to continually seek to give God 
glory. I think this is a reminder for us this morning, an encouragement to get to our battle stations, to not give up, to not give in, to not back off, but to give God glory. Verse 9 says, The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near this place that's hard to say, opposite a place that's even harder to say. You can see why we went for the children's Bible app with the passage. But, um, you know, just before verse 9, it says the Israelites were marching out of Egypt boldly. Of course they were marching boldly because they're on their way to freedom. Isn't it so much easier to walk boldly when there's no threat? But now they've got all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and troops. They're chasing after them. I wonder how you, how do you think they felt? I know how I would have felt. I'd have been sweating it. You know, they thought they'd broken free from the thing that had held them back, from the thing that had enslaved them, from the thing that had trapped them. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Isn't it so much easier to walk boldly and to give God the glory when we've just experienced something miraculous, when we've just had a time of worship together or we've just been to a Christian festival or conference or someone's just had a word of encouragement for you or you've just got something that you you really wanted? But what about when we're up against it? I think we've got a choice, and our choice is to trust him, a choice is to give him the glory. When the thing that's held you back for years is nipping at your heels, your insecurity, your unfulfilled desires or promises, a fear, a habitual sin, Jesus provides a way through it. And I think this passage is an encouragement to us to keep walking, to keep marching, to keep focused, to do it boldly and to do it for the glory of God. See, it doesn't matter what it is and it doesn't matter how long it's held us for. It might be pornography. It might be a drug addiction. It might be anger. It might be a lack of self-control. It might be a lack of confidence. It might be fear. It might be pride. It might be an eating disorder. It might be disappointments or disillusionment. Whatever it is, Jesus provides a way through and a way for us to keep going. And in the process, we'll bring glory to God. And he wants the glory. See, naturally, the Israelites didn't stand a chance. But isn't it so often that when these circumstances um, arise, that when we have to stand firm, when we have to put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the, the um, outcome that we predict might happen, that then God opens a way. God opens a way and to do something quite remarkable and something beyond the imaginable. Verse 11, then they said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to bring us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They were frustrated and they chose to doubt God. But God had given them freedom and they didn't need to give up ground. They didn't need to fear. They didn't need to panic. God had got them out of Egypt, but now we needed to get the Egypt out of them. And I wonder for us, what's the Egypt 
in us? What's the thing that's holding us back? What's the thing that is preventing God getting the glory? What's the thing that we're slaves to? The thing that where sometimes we settle for less rather than seeking God. I think so often we can be tempted to stay where we are or where we were rather than move forward to where we could be. You know, these guys were barely out of Egypt a week and they've started to distort the truth. I wonder if we've ever done that. Have we ever seen an opportunity for change? We think we're at the point of breakthrough, but then we decide to stay where we are or where we were because it's easier and it's more comfortable. God has and God is giving us a chance to get up and to get out of there. He wants us to do it because he wants us to be free and because he wants the glory. When we trust our own efforts rather than Jesus' power, we too are in danger of turning back. Our own efforts are never adequate. Only Jesus can see us through. The second choice that I think we have is to choose faith or to choose fear. So logically, I just want to um, unpick this story of the parting of the Red Sea a little bit. I asked a student who comes here who studies physics and astronomy just to do a little bit of digging around on the passage for, um, for me. And to do this, he assumed that the point they crossed the Red Sea was 25 kilometers wide. And he's worked that out by looking at satellite images and all sorts. And he also had to assume that the depth of the gulf, although it varies, was a consistent 40 meters deep. Now, Exodus 12, a bit earlier in the Bible, describes that 600,000 men, discounting the women and the children, marched out of Egypt on foot. And he suggested, therefore, that you could have a tentative guess, an estimation, that there's about 2 million people in this crowd. The next thing he's then considered is the crowd density and the average walking speed and exactly how they would have approached the Red Sea. And to simplify matters, he's assumed that the Israelites have arranged themselves into this neat, tidy column. And um, he's assumed that the, a reasonably dense crowd would have six people per square meter, which then you realize you'd need a total area which would be roughly 333,000 square meters, resulting in a column length of 6,666 meters, which is roughly about four miles. Still with me? Okay, you can't Google this stuff, I tell you. So with this in mind, he's then calculated that it's going to take roughly six hours and 17 minutes to cross. So an obvious value that you then need to consider, and when I say obvious, I mean obvious to him, not necessarily to me, um, he's calculated the energy required to part the Red Sea. And his, his calculation is, suggests a value of 9.8 times 10 to the power of 12 joules, which is roughly equivalent to the orbital kinetic energy of the International Space Station. Still with me? Okay, to part that would require a wind speed five times faster than ever recorded, which would require an energy um, comparable to the annual energy consumption of the UK. He's then calculated the chance of that actually happening, and um, I honestly can't even read the number that he's come up with, it's like crazy. But he says if he was to write that down in full, it would take so many A4 pages that binding them all together would weigh 800 times the mass of the sun, which itself would be, more ma would be a thousand times more massive than the Earth, and so wouldn't actually be very readable. Writing that on a single strip of paper would require its length to be over a billion times wider than the universe itself. 
Now that is to um, neglect the fact that the said channel needs to be open for six hours, 17 minutes, rather than just one second, and therefore the probability of that happening is even less likely. Suffice to say, it's probably not going to happen in the natural. That's kind of the point I wanted to make. <laughs> but um, there's going to be many other factors where he's made guesses and assumptions, we've made a few dodgy calculations, this, that, and the other. And honestly, I can't, I'm grateful to him, but I can't even read what he's written, let alone explain it to you. But I hope that the point is obvious. The thing that we've seen here, that I've kind of tried to show you in a children's Bible app, it doesn't just happen naturally. This is miraculous. You can't explain this with science. You can't explain it with natural logic. This was God being God. And actually, the Israelites could kind of be forgiven for wondering how God was going to get them out of this situation. But the choice that I think they had was to choose fearing the incoming Egyptians that are chasing them with all their might, or to put their faith in God to work miraculously. What's amazing, though, is I don't think this is a one-off isolated event in history. I know that for me personally, daily, I come up against these Red Sea moments. Will I choose faith? Will I choose fear? You know, that's a phrase I've heard so much over the last few months, and I just love it. Will we choose faith, or will we choose fear? Will I choose to share my faith with a person down my street that I've bumped into numerous times now? Fear or faith? Will I choose to share my faith? Will I choose to pray for the person who I've just met in a supermarket that tells me they've struggled to walk because of a problem with their knee for two years? Fear or faith? Whatever the situation we're facing, I think we get one of these moments. It might be an integrity challenge at work. How will we choose to respond to it? Will we choose to be honest? A relational challenge in our family, will we choose to resolve it and dissolve it? When we're facing disappointments, will we choose fear or will we choose faith? An opportunity to seek to be naturally supernatural, will we choose fear or faith? You know, I love that we follow a God that I can't explain, but we follow the same God that parted the Red Sea. The only difference is it isn't Moses, it's you and it's me. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you only need be still. Do not be afraid, stand firm, the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You don't need to do it in your own strength. You don't need to conjure something up. You just need to choose faith rather than fear to choose to stand firm, and then we will see the Lord move. And that makes me feel like, I'm like, ah, oh, I can do that. You know, I think it's so, uh, so liberating to realize that God does the supernatural bit, not us. We do the natural bit in faith, and he does the rest. When we realize that God is our only hope, how quickly we're able to choose him and to trust him. See, faith... Would, um, sorry, fear would lead you to retreat. Impatience would tell you to do something quickly. Presumptions would cause you to jump into the sea before it's even parted. But God says, stand firm and be still. The enemy can't take ground that God has given us, but we might be tempted to draw, to draw back and to feel intimidated. See, God told the Israelites, and he tells us to stand firm, to have peace and to trust him. God saves them, and God can save us. 
So you might find yourself at the moment in a time of waiting. You might be waiting for the end of a family breakdown or a conflict. You might be waiting for a breakthrough in your health. Maybe an end to anxiety or insomnia or an addiction or to self-loathing. You might be waiting for a husband or a wife or even just an end to the questions that you've got about your relationship status. It might be a baby or a new job or waiting to complete on a house move. The list could go on, but if we're in a time of waiting, I want to say we're in safe hands because we're waiting on God. Yes, that might be painful for whatever that situation might be, but God is still God and God can be trusted. And he says, stand still and trust him. Verse 16 then says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Can I just say that? I think God is motion activated. You know, the Israelites were about to see the proof of God as they journeyed, as they moved forward, as they stepped out, as they did something. Moses had to stand firm, but then he had to respond. Our faith and our steps of obedience, they're like a lightning conductor to the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Moses that drove back the sea, it was God. It was God that saved them, but it required Moses. It required an obedience. It required an action. Because obedience unlocks something of the presence of God. Faith unlocks something of the presence of God. As they, ex- they exercised faith, as they acted in faith, the invisible became visible to them. Verse 17 says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. You know, we're supposed to be on a different point, and I know it's incredibly confusing to revert back, but there it is again in two further verses. God wants to gain glory. And I think we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to be obedient to him, to trust him, and for him to gain glory as we do. Verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and it turned into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Israelites quickly moved through the sea because of the advancing Egyptian army chasing behind them. I kind of think that's logical. Of course they move quickly. They've got this army pursuing them. But do you know the army is leaving them with no choice and no option? It's pushing them towards choosing faith. They've run out of natural possibilities. What would push us more towards Jesus? I think we've got a choice, and the choice is to choose it as early as we possibly can. Faith can lead us, sorry, fear can lead us to faith. We've got an opportunity to respond in faith to the things that could cause us to fear. Verse 22 says, they went through the sea on dry ground. There was no mud like you would have expected there to be. God wants to give us dry ground to walk on. It's not slightly muddy ground. It's not drying out ground. This is dry ground. The path of obedience, the path of choosing to trust God, the path of choosing faith is where the dry ground is. 
It says, and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. I'd kind of call that dry ground because this isn't a flesh and blood fight. This is a spiritual fight. We wage war not in the physical, we wage it in the spiritual. The battle of the Egyptians is hopeless because they're not fighting man, they're fighting God. That's why we can stand still, because it's not stand still and trust me, not stand still and trust ourselves. It's stand still and trust God. The incredible might of the Egyptian army has been totally disempowered, and they're left running scared, because this is God that is fighting for the Israelites. God is the eternal victor, and our victory is not in our own might, but it's in him. And we move from fear to faith, by trusting him. We move from fear to faith by choosing to trust him despite our natural circumstances that are surrounding us. The third and the final thing that I want to say and the choice that I think we have is to choose to move forward faster. Let me explain what I mean here. I believe that when we combine choosing to give God his glory and when we choose faith over fear, that we're left with this opportunity, and that's to move forward faster in our relationship with Jesus. The Israelites had this opportunity. They've entered into a new phase, into a new understanding of God. The Israelites have moved from being slaves to saved in this moment as they cross the Red Sea. Their status has changed, but it needed to run a bit deeper than that. As I mentioned earlier, the Israelites have got out of Egypt, but now they've got to get the Egypt out of them. Our point of coming to faith is really important. Our point of giving our lives to Jesus is really important, but it doesn't stop there. If you haven't done that yet, though, I want to encourage you, today is the day to do it. But it doesn't stop there. This is a lifelong journey of choosing transformation. When we choose Jesus, we're out of the metaphorical Egypt. But when we choose Jesus, then we've got to get the Egypt out of us. Let me um, try and explain what I mean. I used to work for a mission organization, and we sent people all over the world, um, reaching um, unreached people groups um, through church planting. And we were about to have these five American lads um, in their early 20s come and join us for a few days training. And because they were jet-lagged, I knew they were going to get up before me the next day. So I laid all the breakfast stuff out, and I said, guys, help yourself to whatever, whenever, and I'll come and join you later on. Now, these lads had just come from America, but I can tell you we face more cultural and behavioral differences with those five lads than pretty much any other group from anywhere else in the world had ever experienced combined. And... um, well, I'll give you one example. I came down for, for breakfast to join them the next day, and I find them putting coffee granules in the kettle. Okay, they were out of America, but we couldn't get the America out of them. A kettle is not a cafetiere, and coffee granules are not ground coffee. They needed a change in mentality. We need a change in our mentality to get the Egypt out of us. Verse 30, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. The Israelites saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servants. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God, they put their trust in him. This is a bit cliche, but it's so true. When we hit rock bottom... 
we hit the rock at the bottom. You know, they couldn't explain God, but they just experienced him, and it left them with a choice to make. They chose to see it. They chose then to give God glory. They faced a situation um, with, with faith rather than it being clouded by fear. And as a result of putting their trust in him, they moved forward faster. The only difference here to this passage, I think, is that it's you and me, not Moses. It's the same God that parted the Red Sea. In fact, it may well be the same overwhelming, intimidating sea that you're feeling in life at the moment. It may be that you feel trapped on every side, pursued from all angles, because we regularly come up against stuff that is a challenge to us. But here's what I think we gain from this passage, that every story, every passage in the Bible whispers to us the name of Jesus. To move forward faster, in our relationship with Jesus. I think we need to find how we can identify with this passage and allow it to challenge us and allow it to encourage us in whispering the name of Jesus to us. You know, the Old Testament prepares the way for the New Testament and all of God's promises find fulfillment in Jesus. Moses was faithful to God's calling, not only to deliver the Israelites, but also to prepare a way for the Messiah, to prepare a way for Jesus. His work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. The exodus from Egypt, although it's a real historical event, it anticipates what Jesus would do later for his people. See, what God did through Moses was to provide physical salvation from physical slavery. What God does through Jesus to us is to provide spiritual salvation from spiritual slavery. Our slavery isn't like the Israelites in the Egypt exactly. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt, but we're slaves to sin. And Jesus said in the book of John to the Pharisees, he said, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So if the Son, if Jesus sets you free, you'll be free indeed. See, Jesus offers us freedom. The sea can be parted for us and we can walk through it. The Israelites wouldn't have had it all sorted as they walked through the parted sea. But here's a catchphrase, if ever there was one. It's that God responds to our needs, not our deeds. You see, it's not about what we do. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about Jesus. Freedom is found in Jesus. And as we choose him and as we choose to respond to him, we move forward faster. I just want to mention one final thing because the passage says this. It says, Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. What a graphic illustration that is represented here. The um, Egyptian soldier represents an old way of life. It represents death. It represents slavery. And now that's gone. The, the Israelites on the other side, they've got hope. They've got life. They've got freedom for the way ahead. And this, is a, this really is a symbol of the pain and destruction that can be caused by sin, but the hope and the life that can be found in Jesus. If ever there was a powerful demonstration, illustration of baptism, this is a great one. It's a symbolic representation of moving from the old life to a new life. And if you've yet to do that, I want to encourage you to consider it this morning. Go to the Connect area afterwards, chat with the guys, find out more, but give God the glory for what he has and what he is doing in your life. God uses each victory 
in our lives to tell others of his power and his ability to work through our weaknesses. Some people need to see that story in us lived out for others. Just as I finish, I've mentioned three things this morning. Choose God's glory. Choose to give him the glory. I believe it's an active choice that we need to make. Secondly, choose faith over fear. We move from fear to faith by trusting in God, choosing to trust him despite our natural um, circumstances that are surrounding us. And then finally, choose to move forward faster. Freedom is found in Jesus, but we've got to choose it. We've got to engage with it. We've got to choose to live it out. Why don't we stand together? Tom's just going to join me. Might help just to close your eyes as we, as we wait on God. Just as we do, I think the immediate encouragement I want to think God is offering us this morning is try that door handle, whatever that might be. Giving your life to Jesus for the first time, getting baptized, seeking healing that you've, you've, you've given up hoping for seeking freedom from something that's holding you back, whatever it is, try the door handle.